Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Wednesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, I'll speak with the president of the Georgia Nurses Association about a critical push to get health care workers vaccinated. You may be asking why. Well, there was a recent study that revealed 25 percent of those workers had not received a single dose of a COVID-19 vaccine. Also later in the program, the Decatur Downtown Development Authority is launching a new program to help small business owners move into their own building. Those conversations coming up in just a moment. But first this, administrators of four four coastal Georgia hospitals say they're quickly running out of beds as COVID cases are rapidly rising in their regions. Now, Georgia's coastal counties have some of the lowest vaccination rates to begin with in the country. And so they find themselves in the wake of a COVID infection wave that has spread north out of Florida over the past month. And Savannah Mayor Van Johnson says, guess what? He'll consider restrictions. And that means canceling large events if those numbers keep increasing. People can avoid that by getting vaccinated. And it helps slow it down by wearing a mask. I mean, some of the same people who don't want anything stopped or slowed down are the same ones who won't get vaccinated or against wearing a mask. Meanwhile, some students and workers at Georgia's public colleges and universities want the system to tighten COVID-19 safety protocols from our protocol, excuse me, from our WABE newsroom. There's an online petition started by the Georgia chapter of United Campus Workers, and it has over 12,000 signatures. The group wants officials to require masks on college campuses, offer online options and have free COVID testing. Currently, the university system strongly encourages masks and vaccines, but doesn't require them. Classes at most of those institutions start later this month. And finally, it appears DeKalb County Police Chief Mirtha Ramos is going to be staying around for a bit. Chief Ramos was a finalist for the same position in Austin, Texas. And in a very brief statement, Chief Ramos said, quote, I have officially withdrawn my name from consideration from the, for the Austin Police Chief position. I appreciate the opportunity to continue working with the Cab County CEO, Michael Thurman, Public Safety Director Joseph Lumpkin, and the courageous men and women of the police department as we use the American Rescue Plan funding to implement our strategic plan to transform law enforcement, close quote. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cf 
greateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues now. This is 90.1 WABE. Yes, Atlanta's choice for NPR. And as always, I'm Rose Scott. It was a headline that says it all. Quote, huge number of hospital workers still unvaccinated. It was a piece authored by Brenda Goodman and Andy Miller for WebMD Health News. And it was cited that nationwide one in four hospital workers who have had direct contact with patients had not received a single dose of a COVID-19 vaccine. This was by the end of May. And that information came from WebMD and Medscape Medical News. It was an analysis of data that they collected from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. And it was taken from 2,500 hospitals throughout the nation. Lots of questions. And more importantly, what are the measures to get more health care workers vaccinated? Well, we're going to turn now to Richard Lamphier. He's the president of the Georgia Nurses Association. Thank you so much for taking time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Mr. Lamphere, let me ask you this. Do you know of healthcare workers who have not been vaccinated? I know of a few healthcare workers and a few nurses that have not been vaccinated, but uh, uh, the majority of us have been and we're fully vaccinated. And even you know, some of us are looking and anticipating if there's going to be a need for a booster shot and looking mm-hmm. forward to rolling up our sleeves to take that if need be. Let me ask you this. In the conversations that you, that you have with these folks, it was a just a vaccine hesitancy. What was their reason for not? So a lot of a lot of vaccine hesitancy, and I think the same thing that we hear in the general public, just not as as much of that. I don't think, but um, you know, we have a lot of younger nurses that are still in uh, childbearing years, so that may be a bit of a hesitancy. We have some. Um, nurses, older nurses with maybe comorbidities that may be a little hesitant to take mm-hmm. the vaccine. But a lot of our nurses have had COVID and that may be part of the hesitancy as well. Well, as someone who you're in this space and, and we have been so appreciative of all the work of our healthcare workers, uh, our first responders, everybody who's been, quote, on the front line. Um, can you understand if some folks were who have been very critical as opposed to maybe folks saying we should be more understanding. What's your take on all this? You know, well, thank you for your support and thanks for the community support as well for all the healthcare workers and especially nurses who have been on the front line. And I, I think when they look at just the numbers and, and want to know why we haven't been vaccinated, I think that's a little critical. And I think there's so much more to it and really getting the data that, you know, to mm-hmm. make it comfortable for that person to to make that decision to get the vaccine. We support getting vaccinated from the Georgia Nurses Association. I think it's one thing, you know, I did it early on, mm-hmm. you know, when I was available to get vaccinated. My wife did it early on when she was able to get vaccinated, you know, fully vaccinated by February. So I really encourage all nurses and all healthcare workers, anybody working in in the hospitals to get vaccinated and the general public, we need to get vaccinated so we can get this, especially with the Delta variant coming on so strong. We really need to get this under control. 
Let's focus on that for a moment uh, with this Delta variant, because as you and you of all people know, and every day we may we have these reports of the, the increase you just heard about in Georgia's coastal communities here and they're running. Those hospitals are running out of beds. What role can you all play? Is it enough just to have this coming from the president of the Georgia you know, Nurses Association? What role can you all play to get more health care workers vaccinated? I think the biggest thing is giving them the correct, the, the proper information. You know, we know that there's you know, 100, over 150 million people that have got the vaccine. So we have the, the research out there that knows that the, you know, the vaccine in it is effective. And really, it's so important, you know, if you were to get the COVID, then, you know, with a vaccine, the, the severity of the disease is going to be so much less. Mm-hmm. than what it is without the vaccine. So I think that's the number one thing is it's so important to get vaccinated so you don't have that long-term effect from a COVID illness that you would unvaccinated. So um, as a public service announcement, I think that's something that we put out on a regular basis, you know, encouraging healthcare workers to get vaccinated, mm-hmm. you know, giving out any information that they may have, you know, given the science, given the statistics that they can, you know, see see the proper information that's coming out. What are you all, what are the barriers that you all are up against? And let's be really clear, Mr. Lamphere, because there have been some elected officials who are not helping in the efforts. Um, and we can even begin with some of Georgia's own Congress, you know, congressmen and women here. When you hear that, that politics is getting involved, that's a barrier for not just folks who are trying to encourage everyone to get vaccinated, but an organization like yours, which is so important. And I think that's so important is that we need to give that clear message as to the facts of the vaccine and the efficacy of it and really, you know, provide that information to our nurses, to the general public. Nurses are the most trusted profession for 19 years in a row. Mm -hmm. So please trust us. You know, we've had many nurses that have been vaccinated with minimal side effects. You know, we're all doing well with the vaccine. You know, we're taking care of the patients on a daily basis, being exposed to COVID on a daily basis. And we know it's working because the vaccinated nurses aren't getting sick. Now, let me ask you this. I mean, I just had this conversation over in DeKalb County. They've had some, you know, incentives for getting residents vaccinated by offering a a debit card. Do you think there are some incentives where there could be financial or something like that that might, I don't know if it'll make a huge, you know, impact, but could there, through your lens, do you think there could be a financial incentive offered to, let's say, the nurses, if the hospitals or the system, the medical system can't afford it, that might help? You know, that might help, but I really think, you know, doing the right thing for us as nurses to make sure that the patients we're taking care of are protected and the community's protected. So, you know, it, I, I would never turn down money if that's what you <laughs> want to offer us as an incentive. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd be happy to take it. But I really think, you know, as the information comes out, as the FDA approval is, you know, getting nearer and nearer, I really think with that information the statistics coming in, you know, multiple studies from around the world. I really think it's time for nurses and everybody to roll up their sleeves and get vaccinated. We've you know, had, we have the information. We've had conversations on this program before about the mental health, the stress that so many have had to deal with. And obviously those who work on the front lines and in the healthcare industry, they are, are undoubtedly also impacted, undoubtedly impacted by this. 
Do you have some concerns that you will see? Because we've heard, I've had this conversation, that Georgia is in desperate need of nurses. Through your lens, could this pandemic have a negative impact on that and where we, you are having a hard time continuing a pipeline and a candidate pool of folks who want to be nurses? Yeah, the pandemic has really accelerated the nursing shortage and putting a spotlight on it. You know, we're tired. You know, we've been, you know, we really thought we had, we were out of the pandemic, you know, back in May, early June, we thought we'd seen that, you know, seen the light at the tunnel. You know, unfortunately, that light might be a train now that's coming towards us, And you know, with this fourth wave of the pandemic. So um, we're tired, you know, we're stressed and, you know, we just want people to, to really consider getting vaccinated, being safe, you know, take care of their mental health, because there's so many things that are are associated with the pandemic as the beds get filled up with the pandemic the patients that may need an emergency room or icus having a heart attack or or needs emergency surgery Mm -hmm. those beds are being filled up with people that are are suffering from covid so those you know you know we've been through a lot that last 18 months as Mm -hmm. nurses and we really need your help we need the public's help if you're just joining us, I'm in conversation with Richard Lamphier. He's the president of the Georgia Nurses Association. And and based on what you just said, which makes a lot of sense, but can you understand someone saying, okay, but maybe it's time that there is some type of ultimatum. Either you get vaccinated or you possibly face suspension or termination because still as a unvaccinated healthcare worker and you're working around patients, I just gave you that statistic 25% you're putting folks at risk. And, and I know and, as an association, you, know, you all have the best interest. You want the best interest for your nurses, but are you all caught in the middle? Would you support something like that? Well, I think we support the, the American Nurses Association, the American Hospital Association, and the American Medical Association that have all, you know, their policy statement has come out to support mandatory vaccines for healthcare workers. And I think that's part of the support. We support that as well. And so I think really with the FDA approval, you know, looming right around the corner, I think you'll see some of the, those mandatory vaccinations being required. You know, we're required to have the flu shot every year as nurses. So, um, I'd anticipate some of those mandates. So you think that's that's key here? If the it's an actual authorization from the FDA, not an emergency one, which was has been the case, you think that would really turn these numbers here? I really do. I think that's the last step and the last hesitancy that I've heard, you know, from from coworkers and other people working in the healthcare facilities. I think you know, once it's approved from FDA. You know, we have the studies behind it. We have the you know 150 million shots that have been given. So we know all those things are in place for FDA full approval. And I really think that takes the politics out of it. FDA's approved it. It's been you know, approved multiple other things. And it really has the backing of the numbers mm-hmm. of how many people have been vaccinated to, to really support full authorization. And, and in this this piece um, from WebMD, it also it, it highlights the fact that you're also looking at a high percentage of unvaccinated healthcare workers in those counties where there is a low vaccination rate, and also these tend to be in some of your rural parts of the state. What do you see there? How do you reach? Is there something specific then that needs to happen to reach this particular population? I think just given that that particular population, the same information, the, the facts that we have, you know, the, 
the data that we have, the studies that we can show how effective the vaccine has been, and really to get that information out and to have the leaders you know, support that and provide you know, factual information. Let's take the politics out of it. Let's look at what the facts are telling us. We, you know, the facts that I've seen, are, mm -hmm. it's all saying the same thing. It's safe. You know, like with any medication, there can be side effects. We know that. But from a, you know, risk of co getting COVID versus a risk of getting a vaccine, that risk of getting the vaccine is such a minimal risk. When you're talking about long haulers with COVID vaccines, healthcare systems opening up clinics just for that specific illness. What efforts have you all been specifically involved in? If you if you if you have if you, if you haven't that you need to be involved in because as you keep saying we we need to provide information provide accurate information but it appears that's just not enough. Is there something else that you all need to do or partner with to improve these numbers among healthcare workers? Well, what I'd like to see happen, and, and some of the things that we've done, we've done some COVID conversations, webinars with our nurses. But I think what I'd like to see is for the Georgia Nurses Association to partner with the Georgia Medical Association and the Pharmaceutical Association and come together as the three primary health care providers in the state, come together and do a public service announcement and get that throughout the state. You know, you know, frequently frequently asked questions, providing the facts to those questions that we have. We know there's hesitancy with, you know, childbearing years. We know there's hesitancy with, you know, other types of age groups and, you know, FDA approval, you know, it's for emergency use only. You know, we know that's going to go away soon. And so I think if we could partner with the Georgia Medical Association, the Georgia Pharmaceutical Association, mm -hmm. and provide those public service announcements, I think that would go a long way. And we should note just within the hour, the CDC is urging all pregnant women to get vaccinated. This is according to the Associated Press, as the hospitals and COVID-19 hotspots are seeing what they call disturbing numbers of seriously ill, unvaccinated mothers-to-be. And that just coming out within the last hour. What do you make of that? I've, uh, I've never worked in the OBGYN part of nursing. Mm -hmm. um, I've always been in the critical care and emergency room. But I think, you know, when that information comes out, we need to really look at that and take heed because the studies are showing it that it's effective. The vaccines are effective in pregnancy. You know, I just uh, left a co-worker who's pregnant that got the vaccine because they want to be vaccinated and possibly pass that on to their unborn child, you know, that that protection. So um, I really think when you hear things like that, look, you know, look at it yourself, you know, make sure that you're comfortable with that decision. But these are the things that we really need to to uh, get the information out there, the factual information and really show you know, how effective the vaccine has been in those vaccinated mothers and, and pregnant ladies. And something else I want to get your thoughts on before we let you go, because you just mentioned, you've been mentioning information and how important it is, but I've also had conversations, numerous conversations about messaging and information. And listen, you could, depending on whom you ask in terms of yeah. when the CDC said, okay, you vaccinated folks, you can, put away the mask for now and then all of a sudden the Delta variant and it explodes. And now we're back to everyone should wear their mask indoor regardless through your lens, the, the messaging here, do you think that there is some fairness in saying that the messaging these last few months has been a problem? It's been problematic because we keep hearing, we hear one thing, the next week it's something different. And, 
I don't think it's been problematic. I think it's been based on more information that we've received. And I really believe that. And I think that's what people need to look at as science. This is a brand new virus. It's been around for 18, 20 months. So as we get the information about this virus, how does it act? How does it you know, replicate? How does it you know, uh, become variants? So as we learn that information, the information is going to change. You know, so I think that's really trust in, you know, trust in the scientists, trust in the healthcare workers. And I know, you know, we've talked about the unvaccinated healthcare workers, mm -hmm. but I think, you know, the majority of us are vaccinated. You know, we believe, we believe in the vaccine. And I believe, you know, as, as FDA approval is granted, I believe you'll see those numbers go up even higher. Do you think if there is a need for a booster shot, Mr. Lamphere, that that also might be helpful for folks in getting them to now go back and at least get vaccinated to begin with? Or do you think it could be, it could have an adverse effect on one's willingness to get the vaccine? Well, I don't think it would have an adverse effect. I think, it, you know, as we deal with viruses, with the flu viruses, we know that each year we need to get a, a flu shot to help counteract the effects of that strand of flu. So I, I think the booster shot, you know, right now it's not, any of the science doesn't indicate that we need a booster shot at this time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as you know, don't be scared of that. If you hear that, that a booster shot is needed, it's just more science is coming in. You know, decisions are made based on that science and then recommendations are put forth. And then finally, where do you hope or at what point do you hope that we as a nation, not just here in Georgia, obviously, but we as a nation turn the corner? You know, we thought we had turned the corner a few months we ago. Did. And now here we are. Uh, do you have a timeline or what is your wish? I don't I don't have a timeline. If I did, that would be uh, really nice. But, um, you know, I really think the fall, you know, with vaccination rates going up, FDA approval, and then people seeing the unvaccinated, how sick they're getting with the Delta variant. I think that should be a motivation as to why somebody would want to get vaccinated. And as adults, I think we need to get vaccinated to protect our children. Mm -hmm. We don't know the long-term effects of the COVID virus. Mm -hmm. you know, we need to protect our children as best we can. And I really want to you know, you know, emphasize that. You know, do it for your children. Do it for the children. So uh, you know, that's that's what I would recommend. You know, look at it as protecting the children in your family or in your neighborhood. And I imagine that message is also the same, not just for nurses, but for all of those unvaccinated healthcare workers who haven't received the shot. You want them to know the same. Yes. All right. President of the Georgia Nurses Association, Richard Lamphere, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate a good conversation. Thank you. Have a good afternoon. You too. Bye. And Closer Look continues now. I'm Rose Scott. Now, coming up in just a moment, we'll hear how the city of Decatur wants to help small business owners with the launch of a new retail incubator program. But first, wanted to bring you an update regarding a special called meeting today from the Fulton County Board of Commissioners. Now, it wasn't officially on the agenda, but Fulton County Sheriff Patrick Labonte Answered, answered questions regarding what he says is overcrowding in the county jail located downtown. He talked about recruiting officers and also efforts to combat the increase in crime. 
I said this and I meant this, all right? Not just an election platform, the Fulton County Sheriff's Office will become the number one full service law, uh, law enforcement agency in the state. So immediately following uh, the terrible incident, even at Piedmont Park, we patrolled this, this particular weekend. It goes back to the root of what we were just discussing. We are recruiting for both. And so where there are opportunities for us to be on patrol, you've heard about, about our Scorpion team and what we've been able to do. We've already taken off, uh, off the streets two AR-15s, right, in conjunction with, with um, Georgia State Patrol and Atlanta Police Department. We've we run four different details. We've had 32 different operations of our, set, of our own that we are, we are approaching crime fighting differently in and throughout Fulton County. And that is Fulton County Sheriff Patrick Labatt talking to commissioners today in Fulton County during a special called meeting. And also another update. We heard from a lot of y'all listeners regarding comments from Hall County Superintendent Will Schofield last week regarding mask and, and mental health. And here's an exchange that had prompted a lot of you to send in an email. When you say downsides to masking students, and I noticed you also mentioned on your district website, you talked about mental health. You even mentioned suicide. Uh, I take that further for our listeners. That is a major concern for you, the mental health of the students, because you feel masking is, is a hindrance, is somehow connected to that. I just want to be fair here. But without a doubt, masking is. And, and, and there again, you can look at uh, some of the strongest evidence that's coming out of Germany, Germany with as many as 18,000 families uh, that, that reported significant increases in isolation and depression. Uh, in suicidal uh, ideations. Uh, we're going to see the same thing. We'll write about this pandemic for the next 50 years, and it won't all be about epidemiology. It will be about uh, the chaos, the anxiety, the depression that came along with it. And, and I would suggest walking through schools and talking to families the last 18 months, some of that greatest anxiety, some of that greatest depression has been borne by some of our youngest students, and that is tremendously unfortunate, and it's real. Now, we reached back out to Superintendent Schofield because we wanted to give him an opportunity to come back to the program, answer some more questions, and also be able to cite specifically some of these reports. Superintendent Schofield declined to return to the program, but he did provide a statement that reads in part, quote, Anyone can simply Google the topics discussed and find numerous studies related to mental health, COVID spread, isolation, the pandemic's effects, the correlation between mental health disorders and adolescent suicides and ideations. Studies from New York State, North Carolina, Norway, Sweden, Germany, etc. The statement goes on to say, quote, while I appreciate the offer to return, I will decline any opportunity to debate listeners, many who have not stepped foot into public schools in the past two years on the real and very negative effects of the pandemic, close quote. Now, while there are studies and reports on the pandemic's effect on mental health of children and everybody else, we have found there's no clear data regarding the wearing of masks and suicide among youth. There's more Closer Look in just a moment. And Closer Look continues. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. You know, every year there is a survey, and it sort of takes the pulse of small business trends nationwide. Now, this year's survey, there was more than 2,400 aspiring and current, current small business owners that participated in the Small Business Trends Survey. Here's what we learned. 
23% of respondents reported a loss of revenue during the pandemic. 11% reported that they had to reduce their budgets, while another 11% temporarily closed their business. 7% reported that they were forced to temporarily change their business model to new practices, such as remote workplaces, curbside pickup delivery, and other social distancing practices. And then 41% of those that surveyed said they implemented innovative or disruptive changes due to the ongoing health crisis, such as launching new product lines to invest in what they call new hands-free POS systems. And locally, right over there in the beloved city of Decatur, there's a new push to make sure small business owners are successful. The Decatur Downtown Development Authority is launching the Retail Recruitment Incubator Program. So now... I have a chance to start my own business. I'm going to open a hotel for Wayward Cats. We'll get to that in just a moment. But joining me now to talk more about this is Shirley Bayless, the downtown program manager for the city of Decatur. Shirley, welcome. You laughing at my idea. (laughs) That was funny. I was thinking, okay, Wayward Cats. (laughs) There's always a need for something, Shirley. We take our application. <laughs> All right, y'all laugh at y'all laugh at my idea, but just wait. Uh, yeah, it, what, down the road, we won't be laughing, will we? <laughs> see, all right. Before we uh, sort of dig into that incubator program, let's get a snapshot. How has the Decatur business community been doing throughout the pandemic? How would you assess that? Uh, from my assessment and uh, and I and my role, I uh, actually have a, a pretty good hands-on uh, experience with that. Um, when we looked at our reports for retail um, restaurant and services, we had a total of about 10 businesses that closed uh, mm-hmm. during that time period um, during uh, COVID. I um, and so and you know and we have hundreds of businesses. So uh, to have 10 that that didn't make it, and some of those were there were some things happening already. Mm-hmm. A couple of those were national change so that was decisions that they made uh, from the you know from the top there so depending on what they wanted to get out of come out at at the end of it so um we fared fairly well you mentioned uh those businesses that um came up with new ways to market themselves Mm -hmm. or they expanded their product line and things like that and we we saw that happen in our community and we saw people that, you know, transitioned where they may not have had an online presence, but they did it and they increased it and, and have done well with it so much so that they continue to have it or come up with creative ideas, you know, for gift boxes to give and, and, and things like that. So were you all able to offer, we know that there was some federal obviously funding um, for small mm-hmm. business owners and business owners, were you all able mm-hmm. to add anything extra, particularly Shirley for those mom and pop businesses? Yes, we actually had um, a originally, which started as a, a loan program, uh, the DDA, the city and um, um, a nonprofit that we have as um, legacy project. They uh, combined together to um, give uh loans which mm-hmm. started as loans and the community actually donated to the legacy project mm-hmm. which that's where those that for that funding part of it but um on the second round of the stimulus package we were able to transition those loans into grants and then offer additional grants to both um, businesses and then there was um a grant grant opportunities for nonprofits as well in the city you and I both know that when it comes to some of the barriers and challenges of small business owners, when you dissect that even further, when you peel back the layers, so to speak, obviously those that are uh, that are on people of color owned businesses and, and women owned mm-hmm. businesses tend to face some barriers just in the beginning 
Um, but do you see that changing now because there is such an effort now on getting more? For, there are all these programs. I get emails every day about all these programs now because, you know, everyone wants to focus on, on equity. There's that word, you know, and, and diversity. So you see this now as being that moment where we'll finally have some proven efforts that could work in, in helping getting more minority-owned and women-owned businesses? I think so. I, th- I think um, in some instances, too, though, uh, it's like I read an article last week that talked about how long is that money really going to stick around? But I can say for the city of Decatur that we had uh, we already seen, you know, uh, minority owned business. And we I mean, that's from looking at it from a racial standpoint point, mm-hmm. as well as from a gender standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were I. I would say we were cutting edge with that already, and um, we're we're seeing that happen even before COVID. And when we talk about the Downtown Development Authority, I'll be very clear. I want you to think I'm making fun of y'all. I didn't know y'all had a Decatur Downtown Development Authority. Yeah, now, do you know that there are other cities that have those as well? Yeah, but I mean, because Decatur is kind of small, and I know you have a downtown kind of sort of. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's yeah. downtown, I guess. Yeah, it all oh, seems yes. downtown to me. <clears throat> yes, it is. a um, Yes, we do have a, a downtown development authority and uh, it's made up of, of business owners mm-hmm. in the city. Some of those are in the retail restaurant uh, business, but some of those are contractors because they look at projects that are coming mm-hmm. into the city and uh, and give um, feedback on those and advisement on those. So. so let's talk about this retail recruitment incubator program because I'm already getting emails and people want to know, okay, they don't give me a building. I'm like, I don't know if that's truly it. So let's back up. Let's present facts, as we say, because I don't want someone saying, coming to you saying, well, Shirley Rose Scott said you're going to give me a building and give me my building. So let's back up a little bit. Uh, What is the Retail Recruitment Incubator Program all about? Okay, so, um, and that's a mouthful. We're we're coming up with another name. That's a mouthful. Well, y'all wrote it. You better tell your PR. (laughs) Why I tell you, Decatur is not going to invite me back to anything because I keep... Giving you no, grief, but. It was, when I was writing it, I didn't think of it as a mouthful, but the more I have to say it, it's a mouthful. It's kind of one of those tongue twisters. So you wrote so, it. Yes, I did. Oh, well, surely. Yes. It is what it is, so, right? Yes, it is what it is, for sure. Um, it makes it very clear as to what it is. Um, but in any case, um, several years back, I... Um, been at a conference in a city and came back and you always come back from conferences with all these ideas mm-hmm. and you hear these speakers so you're very excited and um I kept saying I want to do this incubator or this retail incubator program and or you know just my mind was just everywhere and got back and of course when you get back to the office from a conference you have 150 things waiting on you so mm-hmm. there's no way you're going to have the time to do it and uh, last year doing, during COVID, I uh, happened to be online listening to a webinar and uh, there was a young lady from Baltimore and they had done something similar. And I was like, oh, wait a minute, there was my idea, I, I, you know? And so, but I realized like, okay, let's make this happen. This is like no better time to make this happen than mm-hmm. now because you have the time, you can really think about it and what it needs to look back like. And so I researched, um, downtown Memphis. And uh, on that call that day, there was a gentleman from Dayton, Ohio, and had a converse, called him and had a conversation with him and um, put some deadlines on myself as to when I wanted to have it so I can uh, present it to the Downtown Development Authority and then uh, also created a budget that would match it. And um, 
from there, presented it, I think it was June, mm -hmm. and they approved the budget and then uh, presented the um, additional option um, request for uh, setting up an uh, advisory committee to help with the selection process. And, you know, here we are today and it's, you know, it's getting out there, but this process, the goal is for this program is uh, back in November, the downtown development authority said, Hey, we have great restaurants in the city of Decatur. We need to, you know, increase our retail. And I was like, Oh, I have the answer for that. And, um, sat down, kind of started playing with it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. After talking to them, I said, okay, here's what we need to do. Um, let's make an application process, invite people to apply to come into a brick and mortar space, mm -hmm. which the downtown development authority is taking care of half the costs. And um, they would, and then the remaining half would be divided amongst six people. So there's six, the goal is to have six people in this round and it would last for six months. At the end of that six months, because many times people have businesses in their home, they have them, you know, on Etsy, they have all these, mm -hmm. but they, they just can't get their mind to take them from there to the brick and mortar. What do you think that is? Is it, is it uh, because maybe, for, you know, when you think about running your own business out of a building, I mean, there's a cost there. Do you think that the cost is the first thing that pops in their mind? They're like, oh, well, let me just, if I can do this from home now, bake bread, or, you know, a friend of mine who makes shea butter, been making shea butter in her garage now for five years. She's like, I'm good. So you think it's because they're worried about, hey, if I don't need this overhead, I, I don't, I'm not going to deal with it. I think that's a big part of it. And I think also it's overwhelming. It's all of the things that you need to do. You Now you've, you know, you've gone for just possibly some, because some places don't require you to have a, a, a business license if you're doing it from your home. Mm -hmm. So, you know, now you've got, you're getting into all these other things that you're going to need. And that can be an overwhelming process. And you're like, you know what, I'll go back to make a shape out of butter in the garage, you know? So um, I think it's just getting your mindset from one place to the other and having all the steps and tools to get you there. And that's, what's great about our program is that not only are these six people going to be encouraged, you know, get to this opportunity to be in a space, mm -hmm. but in that six months, they're going to have a mentor that they'll meet with that is an existing business owner in the city okay. of Decatur, as well as they'll have monthly trainings from anything from, um, learning how to get a business loan mm -hmm. talk about mental health because many people that go into business on their own what do they do they you know they get completely into that business and they don't find an opportunity to take care of themselves mm -hmm. so if something does go awry you know it just goes really bad the voice you hear is Shirley Bayless. She's the downtown program manager for the city of Decatur. And we're talking about the Decatur Downtown Development Authority and this retail recruitment incubator program. Now, you mentioned, Shirley, six lucky businesses. I know you're going to have a lot of applicants. Can you do you feel comfortable sharing what the criteria will be to in selecting those, you know, those businesses? And is it still too late for folks to try to apply? Well, actually, the application goes live on Monday. And so uh -oh. anyone who's interested can go to Decatur, DDA, or Downtown Development Authority, forward slash incubator. So they can go there and they can apply and uh, put in their application. So one, they will have, have to have been in business at least two years. They will um, need to... Um, 
have their P&L and financial statements for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, we will also ask that they also um, provide us with, you know, their their license for whatever city and county they're in right now, mm-hmm. um, registrations, things that they may have to have with the state. We want them to attach that to the process. Uh, we are saying that you have to have 10 or less employees. So, and that includes the owner themselves. Okay. Um, and that's, um, and that's kind of some of the general things there as it, as they get into the application, there's some more detailed things that are requested and asked of them. Shirley, do they have to be a resident or does the person need to reside in DeKalb County? Oh, no, no, not at all. So they there is be... hope for my hotel for wayward cats. Cause I don't live in DeKalb County. Yes, exactly. You know, so, hmm. you know, they could they could live anywhere and and apply for this program they just you know need to have what they need to apply well, and be willing to share a space that's the other thing. so you have to share the space so do you feel comfortable in talking about what types of businesses may not be a good fit you don't want to discourage anybody and if you feel uncomfortable with that that's fine i don't want to get you in trouble but you know uh, i mean if you are making shea butter i don't know if that will you know work i don't want to say because you know, they're, people are very creative. And mm-hmm. so I, you know, think about it. It's retail. If they think in that, that mind. So retail. So now mm-hmm. if you baking bread. And I, you can't, we don't have a place for you to bake your bread. So, <laughs> so, so, but if you're, if you're, say you're canning, um, apple butter at home, you know, I won't say at home because you got to have some, yeah. uh, some clear, very clear guidelines for that as well. But if you you met those guidelines with that with the Department of Agriculture and things like that, and you want to sell your hot sauces and things like that, and and now you're like, hey, I've been on somebody's shelf for a while. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's I can make this happen in my own space. So, Shirley, you mentioned the template that you you use, and you went to a conference. Were you able then to follow up and see how effective this type of program was? Were those businesses still around after, let's say, the program ended in terms of that six months? And what did you find out? Yes. So um, I, the city I spoke with in Ohio, uh, the gentleman told me that one, some of what they did, they had some success. They didn't have the success that they thought they would because they picked too many people, which actually also helped us kind of guide how we were going to choose and how many we would choose, because we don't want to just put these people in a space and leave them. Mm-hmm. We want to have the, this, the cater experience as a business owner and be able to really walk them through this process as they're going forth. And so, but what they did find was that it did help some business owners realize that, you know what, maybe I thought I needed to be in a space, but maybe I just needed to be on a shelf and in, mm-hmm. in some uh, business. And so it really gave them some clarity and understanding on that. And also, uh, let's back up again, too, because this is a great program. So when Lucy says this is great, six small business owners are really going to have an opportunity to improve or enhance their business. Can you all, any other efforts to help other small business owners? I know you want to see how this goes first, but, you know, you and, and I, look, I was just teasing about not having a downtown. I know about downtown. Again. I have a friend that has a, a shop there. I won't mention the name because I'll get an email that says, well, you didn't mention my shop, but I love downtown Decatur. Um <laughs> Because there are a lot, there are a lot of people that have great ideas, and we've had this mm-hmm. conversation before. You can have a great idea, but from conception to execution to launching, therein lies the problem. So you see, you all can do more to help business owners, indicator. 
Well, the current business owners that are in brick and mortar, or are you seeing business owners in, in general? In general, you know, or people who want to be business owners. Because you mentioned two years already, you know, they need to be already been in business two years. Um, but are there programs for folks who really just need help in getting started? And I know there are programs throughout the state, but are you all doing anything? We don't have anything specific. We do work closely with the county and, um, and you know, and if there's uh, fundings and things like that available. So we, we can give you that information. Uh, when a new business owner does come into the city, and I've met with people that are considering open a business, they may be doing it at home. Uh, and they'll come and they'll say, you know, can you can you show us some spaces? Can you walk us around and, and help us to see some things that are available here in the city? And, you know, and they're right. And we give them I give them that time as if they already have a business here. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, there's you know, we definitely seek out other opportunities, even during the pandemic. Go ahead. No, I have a listener just sent me an email wants to know, will all the six businesses be in the same building? That's a good question. Yes, they will be. It's one. Really? It's one space. Wow. Yeah. All on one and floor, one level? Or? All on one floor. All on one floor. Really? They, they will get a full store to themselves or a full storefront. It will be a shared space. Uh-huh. Uh, and so in our uh, selection committee has some guidelines um, that we are looking at that, that, that downtown Memphis use in doing their pop-up space. And they call it a pop-up space mm-hmm. um, and um, and making sure that each person has what they need. We will make sure that I guess the lighting and things like that is great, but each person will have guidelines that they will follow uh, and setting up their space as well. Then I imagine you probably then you wouldn't have a, pro- a retail space where there are two businesses that might mirror each other or does that not matter? We are really trying to make sure that it is it's a diverse group of businesses, but it also will collab- it'll be collaborative and, and and all kind of flow together. We're really working to make an effort to do that. Wow. As we wrap up, uh, what do you hope the city of Decatur then gets out of this by offering this this incubator program, this retail incubator program? Six brand new businesses in six spaces in the city of Decatur. So uh, and then hopefully be able to to give the opportunity, make the opportunity available again down the road. And, that, and, you know, at the end of six months, start it around again. I just received a message from someone said, you should ask if the city is going to market this shared space as a destination. Good question. Yes, we are. I was just in a marketing meeting. <laughs> See, our, our listeners are on it. I tell you, I love them. They are. So um, we were... Um, you know, of course, we're ideally we're opening this right before the holidays, which is a great opportunity for people to have people coming in to shop. And um, we um, I was just talking to uh, the people that we work with around marketing that say, hey, we want to make sure that the incubator space is marketed for the holidays with our holiday materials. And um, and so we are going to make sure that that happens. And hey, you can ask our businesses here. We do sure. a great job them around marketing. So. Oh, I'm, I'm going to ask because I got folks over there. Now, just before we leave, I just want to be very clear. You sure I have a chance with this Rose Scott Hotel for Wayward Cats? Because <laughs> there's a lot of them I'm out just, there. You know, maybe you're in the next round. Maybe not. Maybe not Y'all discriminating, time. Shirley. Where's the equity in that? 
Where's you the know, DEI in that? You see that lady that just said, hey, is this space going to be shared? So can you imagine your cats roaming around? <laughs> well, it's my idea. Um, but we, we want to follow up with you all. We want to, when the announcement is made, we'd like to meet the business owners. You know, we'd like yeah. to keep following them. And we're going to hold you accountable to all the stuff that you just said, Shirley. You said you were going to market them. You're going to hype them up in all your businesses, right? Yes, we always, and we always do with all of our businesses when oh. we do our marketing. So. All right. Listen, best of luck to, in, in picking those six businesses. I can't wait to hear um, who you all have selected. Shirley Bayless downtown program manager for the city of Decatur and the Decatur downtown development authority launching their retail recruitment incubator program real quickly. What's the website for folks to apply? Decatur DDA forward slash incubator. All right. And we'll have a link Monday morning, Monday morning. All right. Yes. And don't try to apply more than once because you know, some folks (laughs) that was saying Shirley. (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much, Cheryl. I really appreciate it. All right. I appreciate you. That's it for this edition of Closer Look. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email because y'all love to. Rose at WABE.org. And of course, if you missed any of today's program, it's always online at WABE.org slash Closer Look. And of course, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. Subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. I do love downtown Decatur. I love all the downtown cities. So it was just jokes, y'all. Y'all already sending me emails. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.